0: 1 Kings, 2 Kings, tells the story then of, of Israel's progression and, and life under kings. Second Chronicles and First Chronicles, and by the way, the, the reason there's 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles is probably because they're too long to fit as one book on a, on a single scroll. So they divided it up and we've got 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles. Think of it as Chronicles, um, part 1, part 2, um, with maybe a tea break in the middle. Uh, Chronicles is, is covering a lot of that same uh, period of history. It's going back. But, but Chronicles is written uh, from a perspective of people after the exile. And so they are telling the story of Israel to people who have been into exile in Babylon and, and who have come out the other side. And so there's this particular emphasis that Chronicles brings, uh, a particular focus that it brings that Samuel and Kings, uh, well, they've got a different focus. And we're coming today at the very end of Chronicles. If you want to know where 2 Chronicles chapter 36 is, it's one page before Ezra. Uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, of course, as I said in the announcements, uh, tell the story uh, after the exile. They actually tell the story of of Israel, of Judah returning to Jerusalem, rebuilding the temple, rebuilding the city, and, and starting to worship God again after the exile. 2 Chronicles 36 is the end of, well, it seems to be the end of kingdom and kingship in uh, Jerusalem, in Judah. What do we read together? We're going to read from verse 11. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years, which just, by the way, is a bit better than the previous guy, his, his nephew, I believe, who lasted just a couple of months, three months and 10 days. Uh, But Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God, and he refused to humble himself when the prophet Jeremiah spoke to him directly from the Lord. Uh, He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, even though he had taken an oath of loyalty in God's name. Zedekiah was a hard and stubborn man, Uh, We we actually read uh, in some translations that he was stiff-necked and that he hardened his heart. He refused to turn to the Lord, the God of Israel. Likewise, all the leaders of the priests and the people became more and more unfaithful. They followed all the pagan practices of the surrounding nations, um, desecrating the temple of the Lord that had been consecrated in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, repeatedly sent his prophets to warn them because he had compassion on these people and his temple. But the people mocked these messengers of God. They despised their words. They scoffed at the prophets until the Lord's anger could no longer be restrained and nothing could be done. So the Lord brought the king of Babylon against him. The Babylonians killed Judah's young men, even chasing after them into the temple. They had no pity on the people. Wow, this is hard, isn't it? They, they killed both young men and young women, the old and the infirm. God handed them all over to Nebuchadnezzar. The king took home to Babylon all the articles, large and small, used in the temple of, of God and all the treasures from both the Lord's temple and from the palace of the king and his officials. And then his army burned the temple of God. They tore down the walls of Jerusalem. They burned all the palaces They completely destroyed everything of value. The few who survived were taken as exiles to Babylon and they became servants to the king and his sons until the king of Persia came to power. And so the message of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah was fulfilled. The land finally enjoyed its Sabbath rest, lying desolate until the 70 years were fulfilled, just as the prophet had said. In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord fulfilled the prophecy he had given through Jeremiah. He stirred the heart of Cyrus to put this proclamation in writing and to send it throughout his kingdom. This is what Cyrus, King of Persia, King Cyrus of Persia says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He has appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. And any of you who are the Lord's people may go there for this task. And may the Lord, your God, be with you. And there finishes Chronicles. It's an interesting passage, isn't it? Do um, you want to maybe just uh, take away the screen for us, Taryn? That would be amazing. It's an interesting passage, Chronicles. So just to recap, uh, this year we've been making our way through the Old Testament story. So the story of of God and humanity in particular, we focused in on the story of God and his chosen people, Israel, descendants of Abraham. Uh, Just before Easter, remember we saw in 1 Samuel 8, the people coming to to Samuel the prophet and saying, Samuel, we want to have a king like all the other nations. And we saw that week that this was actually a rejection of God as their king. Uh, It was an evil ask. Not, Not that having a king was evil, But their their intention was to say, God, you're not enough for us. We want to have a king like everyone else. And yet God turned their rebellious uh, demand into something good. Israel had some incredibly good kings who led Israel to love God, to honor God, to put him first. Uh, David and Solomon, David made the preparation. Solomon built the temple for God and and, and the glory of God filled the temple. and, And God made these incredible promises to David and incredible promises uh, uh you you probably know that famous saying, you know if my people are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and turn and 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 I will forgive them One chronicles chapter seven verse fourteen, I believe it is and, and beautiful stuff uh, all under some some good kings at that stage Solomon was a good king, as we saw last week, ultimately the king of kings Jesus descended humanly speaking. Uh, from the line of David, would come to save us. Uh, Both God and man, the real king, the king that the people rejected. God God wove the story of David into his story or wove his story into the story of David, and we had God become man, the true king with us. But the story of Israel and the story of God isn't one of undivided love and loyalty to God. In fact, if we read through uh, Samuel Kings and if we read through Chronicles, we'll see that it's actually a long downward spiral away from God. Israel uh, was divided up after only three kings into two kingdoms, the north and the south. And the northern kingdom with the bulk of the people, well, that was exiled. And if you read 1 Chronicles chapter 5, uh, verse 25, you'll see that they were exiled in part because of their unfaithfulness this this northern kingdom of israel they 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 very quickly turned away from god they set up alternative ways of worshiping god they set up golden calves for them to worship and and eventually they were exiled for being unfaithful they were exiled for rebelling against god and rejecting god and they never really returned in fact the uh, samaritans that we read of in the new testament are kind of like the the, the mishmash of people that were brought into the land to replace them. So kind of sort of connected to Judaism, but not really. So it, it's an interesting uh, thing that happened there uh, with long-lasting implications. So the northern kingdom, 10 tribes is gone. The southern kingdom is ruled by David's descendants. It lasts longer. God is showing incredible mercy and graciousness to them. But this this spiral is happening there as well. And they spiral downwards and downwards. And every now and again, you get a good king uh, like Josiah. But but for the most part, it's just a a downward spiral away from loving God. And in 603 BC, uh, this southern kingdom, uh, which is called Judah, uh, became a a vassal state. They became subservient to, to the superpower of the day, Babylon. And when they rebelled, Babylon deposed King Jehoiachin, 598 BC. And it's probably around about this time. There's, there's a couple of um, times when people are, are taken away to Babylon, but maybe around about this time when we see Daniel being taken. Um, actually, i uh, take that back. It's one of the earlier, slightly earlier ones, probably, where Daniel was taken. Uh, but, you know, this is the era when people are being taken away from Jerusalem into captivity to serve foreign kings. And we read here of how Jehoiakim is deposed and his uncle Zedekiah is put in place as his king. And this is where we find ourselves with the last Davidic king in the Old Testament. There is no king in the line of David until we get to Jesus in the New Testament. So what have we got here? I think as we come to the end of Chronicles, we have something of an anatomy of rebellion. Uh, verses 11 to 14 are a good summary of what went wrong in the kingdom of Judah. In fact, verse 12 says to us that King Zedekiah did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God, and he refused to humble himself when the prophet Jeremiah spoke to him directly from the Lord. He wouldn't listen to God. He thought himself more important than God. Uh, God spoke to him through the prophet Jeremiah. um, And, and, you know, if you want more details on this time period, have a read through Jeremiah. Also read Ezekiel. Ezekiel uh, prophesied at first uh, from uh, Judah, but then uh, from exile. He was a priest, and then he ended up in exile, and he prophesied from Babylon. Um, And so we got these two major prophets at this time as well. So God was speaking through Jeremiah to the king, but... He refused to listen. And the idea that that kings were meant to humble themselves before uh, a prophet, well, that, that's a very Israelite thing. Because remember, God never actually abdicated His position as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. God never said, "I'll give you a human king, and then I'll, you know, I'll step back and you know, I won't be your king anymore." God said, "I'm giving you a king, but I am still the king. This king is is my representative. He he ha- he answers to me and." And and God spoke to the kings through the prophets. Uh, In Israel, the king is not meant to be an ultimate ruler. He is representing the king. He is representing God. And so we've got stories like Nathan coming to King David and saying, you know, you are that man. And really bold statements that he says. Um, uh, In the rest of the world, we'll we'll see in Bible study this week, Nehemiah, when he goes to the king of of the land there, he, he says... He's the cupbearer to the king of Artaxerxes. But, you know, if he even looked sad, he could have been executed. Other kings were harsh tyrants. My word is the law kind of thing. But in Israel, God's word is the law. And the king had to be held accountable to what God was doing and what God was saying. Uh, Unfortunately, many of the kings in, in Israel and in Judah came to think of themselves as being above God, which is something that I think all of us can can understand and, and, and maybe uh, identify with as well. Zedekiah, he was not a faithful sort of man. He rebelled against God and he rebelled against Babylon. In fact, his rebellion against Babylon was also a rebellion against God uh, because he had sworn allegiance to Babylon in the name of Yahweh. And so in breaking his word to the king of Babylon, what Zedekiah was, was subtly saying is, you know, I don't think God can actually do anything about it. I don't think God's important enough for me to keep my word when I've made my word in his name. What's he going to do kind of thing. I don't know. Maybe maybe he just treated God as, you know, just, yeah, just just something you say. Maybe not that important. We're told that he was stiff-necked. We're told that he hardened his heart. And, and, and some of you might go, oh, I've heard hardening heart before. And, and, and yes, because we go back and one of the big events in the Old Testament is the Exodus and, and, and the, the, the plagues in Egypt. And what we read there time and again is God's heart, but also, but also Pharaoh hardening his heart against God. And then we read of the Israelites wandering in the desert. And what do we hear about them? That they are a stiff-necked people, that they're rebelling against God. So what we got here, we got Zedekiah described as hardening his heart and being stiff-necked. He is like Pharaoh of old. He is like the grumbling Israelites, not loving God, but grumbling against him. He is, he is the worst. He, he just has all these terrible traits. And all of this is just the king. The anatomy of a rebellion, the king's pretty bad, but the whole nation's not much better. Verse 14 tells us that those who are meant to lead the nation towards God, lead the nation well, they're instead, they're, they're leading the people astray. They're following the customs and religions of the nations around them. They're defiling God's temple. They're worshipping idols in God's temple. This was not a holy nation. This is not a kingdom of priests representing God to everyone else. That's what God intended Israel to be. But, But instead we find a people here who are looking for their security in everyone and everything other than in God. In fact, if you read through uh, Jeremiah and you read through Kings, which goes into more detail, um, there's all sorts of political intrigue. And, you know, uh, maybe Egypt will save us. And and that's kind of why Babylon eventually comes and and, and gets rid of Jerusalem because they decide decide with Egypt. And it's kind of like all this political pawns and games and stuff, but they're just not loving God. And you'd think... uh, I think we can all be very glad that I'm not God because I think I've got a lot less patience than God. You'd think that God would deal with such ungrateful rebelliousness in very short order. But the amazing thing that we're told is how incredibly patient and gracious God was with them. Verse 15, we're told that he sent his messengers to Judah again and again, repeatedly, out of compassion, for his people, out of compassion for his temple. Israel had chance after chance after chance to respond to God's appeal to them, but they refused. And they thought God's messengers a joke, someone uh, the, the, they despised them, they mocked them. This is the kind of God that we serve them, the kind of God who is full of compassion, who has every right, by right of being God, who has every right to wipe out sinners and rebels like us, but who time and time again gives us chance to turn back and to be saved. You know, that that God that we serve is the same God today that he was back in Second Chronicles, that he was back in these times. Uh, If you've got your Bibles, uh, flick with me to... uh, Second Peter, uh, because we see that God is the same today as He was yesterday. Oops, I've got to go to the right place, would help. Second Peter, uh, chapter three, have a listen to this. Uh, where is it on page? The Lord isn't really being slow about His promise, as some people think. No, He's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but He wants everyone to be repent, to repent. Verse 15, remember our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our brother Paul wrote as well. You know, Jesus hasn't returned yet to give us a chance to turn to him. Even as this world of ours seems to be going from bad to worse. And it's been going from bad to worse for thousands of years. God is patient. Even as it seems like the inclination of humanity is away from God, like it was at the end of the monarchy in in Judah, even then God is speaking to us and giving us chances to turn to him and to be saved. Giving chances to the world to turn to him and be saved. And yet God is not someone who will be scorned forever. He is the same God today as he was in the time of Zedekiah. He is compassionate. He is long suffering, but he will not be mocked forever. Have a listen to what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. He says, but the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise. And the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to be deserving judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live, looking forward to the day of God, hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth, he has promised, the world filled with God's righteousness. The day of the Lord, says Peter, will come. There will be a judgment day, just as there was going to be a judgment day in the time of Zedekiah. God had spoken this message again and again and again. Uh, so many of the prophets are saying, turn to God before it's too late. You know, we've spoken about this before, but, but the great thing about God is, is that he he forgives. And, and remember the story of Jonah who, who runs away from taking God's word to Nineveh. Why? Because because he knew that if none of them repented, that God would forgive them. That is the sort of God we have. He will not be scorned forever, but he is quick to compassion. But there came a time when enough was enough in Judah. There comes a time, verse 16 of 2 Chronicles chapter 36, when it is too late to turn back to God. On the day of Jesus, when Jesus returns, it will be too late for, for last minute conversions. When Babylon broke through Jerusalem's walls, it was too late to surrender. Jeremiah had been saying, you know, if you go and surrender, you will be saved. You will will not die. They actually got really upset with Jeremiah and um, they wanted to kill him and they threw him in a pit for saying things like that. Um, But that is the point. Now is the time to surrender. Now is the time to accept God. we shouldn't take God for granted we should take advantage of this time of grace and we shouldn't think even that the trappings of religion will keep us safe. Uh, I, I, I think we I, I feel this within myself as well we sometimes think that just because we do the right religious stuff that we will be safe but religion isn't what saves us. if you look at the story of Second Chronicles, we we see that God allowed Nebuchadnezzar to ransack the temple, to defile, uh, well, not to defile it, but to destroy it. Because, you know, this temple, it was the temple of God, but it wasn't. It had been defiled by the people, by idol worship. Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament, they weren't safe just because they hang out with Christians. Matthew 7, one of those uh, scary passages, uh, speaks of those who spoke for God who even cast out demons and did miracles and yet Jesus comes and says to them I, I never knew you Jerusalem fell that day I think it was December Jerusalem fell the temple was destroyed the walls were destroyed the wealth was taken. Zedekiah himself escaped uh, he was then captured. And the Babylonians, they, they killed his sons in front of him and then gouged out his eyes. So that the last thing he would see was the death of his own sons. And then they led him into exile. Which, by the way, if you read Ezekiel chapter 12, you'll see that that is exactly what God had said would happen, that, that he would be taken into exile in Babylon, but he would never see it. You know, God has made it clear that a time is coming when he will return when he will judge the living and the dead, when he will make all things new. And Jesus told so many stories about the need to be ready. Uh, this is Matthew chapter 25, the story of, the, of the, the ten virgins, that the wise women and the foolish women and the foolish ones didn't have enough oil in their jars so that when the bridegroom came, they, they had to go and find some more oil because they didn't have any. And, and the point of it, Jesus said, is keep watch because you don't know the day or the hour of my return. You should be ready now. And, you know, this, this is a hard, harsh passage. It seems kind of like, wow, thanks so much, Nick. What I really needed this morning was to hear about judgment and about God's uh, day when he's going to make everything undone and, you know, people being killed and having their eyes. Why did we, why did we have to do this passage today? It's hard. It's an anatomy of rebellion and the consequences of that. But but there is hope. There is hope beyond the judgment. This wasn't the end because of God's promises. It's not that God was caught unaware by any of this. The judgment was sent by God. God was in charge of what was happening. And as a result of the exile, the land had its long-awaited Sabbath rest, but it was to be a rest because God would bring the remnant back to the land. And out of that remnant, God would send the true king, which is what we celebrated last week at Easter. Chronicles was written after the exile. It's a history to help Israel learn from their past, to learn to worship God, to serve God, to love God and i love the fact that second chronicles passes over 70 years of exile in one verse because even though the book seems to finish on this dark note and everything undone actually it doesn't it finishes on it finishes on god's arranging for their return it finishes on grace it finishes which is almost, it points us to life after death. It's like Peter said. Everything around us is going to be destroyed like this. On the day when Jesus returns, it will be the end. Everything will be destroyed. Since everything is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live, looking forward to the day of God, hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we're looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth that he has promised. A world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless. Jesus is coming. Even when things get dark, even when things look like they are going down God is still in charge. Even, Even when death comes, God is still in charge. Even though the day of judgment is coming, there is a new world after that for those who trust in God. Father, may we do that. May we trust you. Lord, we own ourselves among the guilty. We own ourselves among those who turn away from you, who have filed your name. Father, forgive us. And I pray that you would enable us by your power, by your spirit, God, enable us to live such holy and good lives in this age as we wait. Lord, you are going to make all things new and we want to be with you the other side new heavens and the new earth father I pray that you would keep our eyes on that we would live today knowing that you are true knowing that what you have said will come to pass living for that future and I pray for those that we know and love who don't accept you, who are among those who scoff and or uh, not scoff uh, sorry who scoff and mock scoff and mock at your word Lord we pray that they would turn and be saved Lord we pray that we ourselves we necessary we're going to sing some